evening. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all its boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure none but Zion's children know. And so we'll continue to consider the joy that awaits us in Christ in the new heavens and the new earth this evening as we open up God's Word. Uh, first from Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through 25, and then two passages at the end of Revelation. So Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Here now, the reading of God's holy and infallible word. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like in the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. And now we turn to Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And now Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it as we consider it this evening. Well, if you're here with us this morning, we considered joy lost in the beginning, paradise lost. And so now we consider this evening, at at the close of the day, joy regained, or we could say the joy that awaits us in Christ. And we see that it is a glorious and happy conclusion to the story of the Bible. It is more wonderful than our imaginations can even fathom. It is the one true happily ever after. And I know that might sound trite to us, but it isn't at all. Uh, The famous storyteller J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings, he wrote an essay entitled On Fairy Stories that explains why the vast majority of people in life and in the world still are drawn to what we might call fantasy literature and movies as well. And it's a really fascinating hypothesis. He claims that these stories, they resonate with us because we all have intuitions of the plotline of the Bible. We are deeply aware, he says, that the world was made to be a paradise, but it has been lost. They may be fantasy, these stories, but something about them rings true in our hearts. Such tales delight us because we sense that they are describing the world as it ought to be to be. Tolkien then goes on to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. What he's saying is that all these fantasy stories are are pointing to our longings for the the true story of redemption to be fulfilled and complete, the plot line of the Bible, and they meet their fullness in the story of Christ and his death and resurrection. And so the whole point is that the resurrection of Jesus for us from the dead on the third day, that historic moment has unlocked this underlying reality for us, this happy ending. Our hope of joy is not baseless, wishful thinking. Jesus' historic resurrection from the dead has burst open a new reality here in this present evil age. A new age has broken into this world. God's kingdom has arrived. The concrete hope of resurrected existence is now ours in Jesus. Our hope is our bodies, these very self-same bodies that we have, to be raised up on the last day to inhabit a renewed creation, totally free from danger, distress, and death, instead full of love and joy. And this evening, I want us to consider the the source of that joy again and the qualities of that joy that Christ has regained for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is the joy that awaits us in glory. And why is this so important for us to consider over and over again in the Christian life? Well, because nothing should fill us with so much joy, thankfulness, and holy aspiration than a prayerful meditation on the consummation of our joy 
and the glory of God. It's the prize that awaits us at the end of the race that lights our hearts aflame with desire and aspiration to finish the race set before us. Or like a groom who's meditating on his bride, adorned in all her beauty, anxiously uh, anticipating her arrival and the enjoyment of her consummating their marriage. It is good for us to meditate on the consummation of our joy in Christ at the end of the story. And so, first, let's consider the source of the joy that awaits us, and that is God himself. He is, as we said this morning, the fountainhead of all blessings, both in this life today, here and now, and also forevermore in the world to come. And we find this emphasis in the passages that we read. In Isaiah 65, 17, we hear God say, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. He's emphasizing that he alone is the author and source of this world to come and all the joys that are found therein. In verses 18 through 19, God says that he will create his city to be a joy, he says, and his people to be gladness. There's great emphasis here in the text on his purpose of establishing this new world in joy. He even says that he himself will rejoice in this new work that he is about to accomplish. And it reminds us of how he delighted over his creation in the beginning, saying it is very good at each stage. And so he will delight forevermore with joy and gladness in his new creation and his renewed people forevermore. He calls his city Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which in the Hebrew literally means city of shalom, or city of peace. And this beautiful city, he claims, will be built, established, and brought to us by God, by God alone. In Isaiah's passage, this is not simply speaking of the geopolitical nation Israel after the Jewish exile, in the Babylonian exile, and the Jewish exiles returning home to their promised land, but it's speaking of something greater, a greater fulfillment of the promise. It's speaking also of the heavenly Jerusalem that is to come. John Calvin wisely comments that the promises here that are described in Isaiah are like ladders that are inviting us to climb up higher to fuller realities to come in glory. And so John in Revelation 21, 2, he actually shows us what is at the other end of that ladder, the new Jerusalem coming down from God to a renewed earth. God alone can bring this reality to fruition. God alone can fulfill our deepest longings for life, humanity, and earth itself. He is the source of all the joy that is to be found in the world to come. And this stands out again in Revelation 22, where we find the Garden of Eden imagery reappear. Paradise is reappearing at the end of the story. And God and the Lamb are at the, are at the center, and there is this ever-flowing river of life that symbolically is the source of endless blessing, of healing and abundance, ever-flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. 
from the source, God himself. What is the point? Our one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the fount of all life and joy, both now and forevermore. That is the point. It's to sink down into our hearts. He is the source. But what kind of joy, what kind of joy awaits us? What are the qualities, characteristics of this joy that awaits us, that Christ has regained for us? Well, let's consider that now, the qualities of joy that await us. And in our text, I found seven uh, different qualities for us. So first, the joy that awaits us, it will be new, new. It will be a gladness of heart that is no longer poisoned with the bitterness of regret or guilt or loss that we face over and over again in this life. Isaiah 65, 17 says, The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now, I don't believe that this is saying that our memories will be erased and we'll have no recollection of what took place in our life. Rather, it means that the fullness of joy in the world to come that will be ours will so surpass the old that the former things that once caused us sorrow and grief will never again haunt us or gnaw on our hearts. We will be forever enchanted with the freshness, the newness of the joy that is to come and that is ours in Christ. The joy will be new. Secondly, the joy that awaits us, it will be endless, endless. In Isaiah 65, 18, he says that we will rejoice forevermore. There will be no end to our joy. Then in Revelation 22, 2 and 5, we find the tree of life that gives fruit every year, every season, over and over again, perpetually giving life. And we hear the promise that we will reign with Jesus forever and ever. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Everything in the heavenly world shall contribute to the joy of the saints, and every joy of heaven shall be eternal. It's hard for us to imagine eternal joy. It's hard for us to imagine living forever because we're finite creatures. We had a beginning, and it seems like we might have an end, but this is the promise that God is giving us. He who is eternal is promising to endlessly give us life and joy forevermore from himself. Thirdly, the joy that awaits us will be sorrowless, sorrowless. In Isaiah 65, 10 through 20, we hear language about the absence of sickness and death. And the idea is that those things that once caused us weeping and distress in this life will be forever removed from the new world. Specifically, all illnesses, all deformity, or deformities, and all physical and mental illnesses, all things that bring about death in this life will be expunged from the new world. All that is broken will be restored. All that is crooked will be made straight. And so there will be nothing and no one to cause sorrow or distress. Our joy will be sorrowless. For the joy that awaits us will be fruitful, fruitful. In Isaiah 65, 21 through 22, we hear descriptions about work, working the land. Now, 
often we think of work in a negative light, with a negative connotation. We think of work as drudgery, right? But that's because of the curse on creation, because of the thorns and the thistles, uh, the sweat on our brow that Adam and his offspring were cursed, or the, the land was cursed and such that uh, all of our work is burdensome now. But we have to remember that God made us to work, to cultivate, and to partake in all of the potential of God's good creation. And so there is every reason to believe that in glory, forever, we will be engaged in the work of culture. That is building, and farming, and doing art, and music, etc. But here's the good news about that. If that scares you, it shouldn't at all, because that work that is before us will be free of all frustration. It will be fruitful. It will be fruitful. No more sweat on the brow, no more thorns. Nothing and no one will steal away all of your hard work. Every seed you plant will grow and produce good fruit. Think about that. And so, as Isaiah says, we will enjoy the work of our hands because it will be fruitful. The fifth quality is that the joy that awaits us will be familial. In Isaiah 65, 23, we hear the wonderful promise that our loved ones and descendants will be with us, our children and generations after us. This doesn't mean that everyone in your extended family will be there. Let's be clear. But it does remind us that our God is a covenantal God. He has covenanted with believers and their children to be both our God and the God of our children, both now and forevermore. And so we trust that normally, ordinarily, God delights in saving families and saving households, and He is faithful to include our children for generations to come. And so we have the great hope of enjoying this world to come with our children and family members that have already died in the Lord and gone ahead before us. The joy that awaits us will be shared with loved ones. It is familial. Now the sixth point, the joy that awaits us, it will be eminent. Imminent. And that's just a fancy word for near. It will be near. We see that God himself will be so near to us. This is one of the things that jumped out at me as I was meditating on this text. In Isaiah 65, 24, he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You can just hear how near God will be to us, how close and intimate our relationship with him will be. And then in Revelation 21, 3, we hear that the dwelling place of God will be with us. And Revelation 22, 4 says that he will be with us us and we will see him face to face intimacy nearness no longer will our transcendent god who often seems so distant and far away from us no longer will he be far off but he will draw near to us as a beloved friend and so our joy will be imminent near now the seventh point The joy that awaits us, it will be peaceful, peaceful. And this stands out in Isaiah 65, 25, where it speaks of the wolf 
and the lamb grazing together, and the lion eating straw like the ox and the dust that shall be the serpent's food. This striking language, it's symbolic language that speaks of the glorious transformation that we will all undergo, such that we will no longer devour and destroy one another in this life, in the world to come. We will no longer destroy one another with our evil habits. We will no longer harm one another, causing distress. Instead of hate, our hearts will be full of perfect love towards God and towards one another. What a joy that all of our sinfulness will be cleansed from us, purified, and instead God will fill us with perfect love. And also that deceptive serpent, the sower of discord, the one who destroyed peace in this world, he will be judged forever and cast away. And this will create a glorious unity and peace. Jonathan Edwards says, The petty distinctions of this world do not draw lines in the society of heaven, but all meet in the equality of holiness and of holy love. A pure and peaceful joy awaits us. So often in this life, lines are drawn in the sand the left and the right, and all different kinds of various opinions and perspectives on things, and we have these pity distinctions that cause strife between us. And Edwards is saying that in the the glory to come, the joy that awaits us, all of that will be removed. There are no lines in the sand in glory. We will be united in perfect peace with Christ. Of course, there are more qualities than these seven, but I hope that you see a, a bit more clearly the beauty and the glory of the joy that awaits us, that is ours for the taking in Christ. It will be new, endless, sorrowless, fruitful, familial, eminent, and peaceful. If upon meditating on that, your joy is not stirring up within you, awakening within you, I don't know what will. That is what we are destined for. That's what Christ has redeemed us for. The Holy Spirit is working holy aspirations in our heart to arrive to that glorious end. This is what we are made for, redeemed for, and what we will arrive to one day. So what do we do in response? What is the proper response to this good news? Three things, three R's. Repent, receive, and rejoice. First, repent. Edward says, there are many principles contrary to love that make this world like a tempestuous sea. Selfishness, envy, revenge, jealousy, kindred passions keep life on earth in a constant tumult and make it a scene of confusion and uproar where no quiet rest is to be enjoyed except in renouncing this world and looking to another. You see, if we if we truly long for this joy that awaits us, we must renounce our evil ways that work against this joy, that are contrary to it. We still have in our own hearts these passions, these desires that cause life to be like a tumultuous sea, that bring about disorder, that work against the joy that Christ has regained for us. And we must renounce those ways to embrace and look forward to the new world that Christ has secured for us. So we must continually repent of all that runs contrary to the joy that God gives us. So repent, repent. 
Secondly, receive, receive. This joy that awaits us, it is yours to receive and enjoy even now in this present evil age. This joy is extended to us as a gift of grace. As we have seen repeatedly over and over again in the scriptures, God has committed himself to see our joy complete and his glory exalted. He has done this work and he has accomplished it. As Jesus said on the cross, in the middle of the story, at the climax, it is finished. It is finished. There is nothing that you or I can do in order to earn this joy that God is offering. It is a free gift. Rather, instead, he is inviting us again to come and enjoy it with him by faith in Jesus to receive with empty hands, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So receive him as your Savior and your King, and this joy will be yours today and forevermore. Thirdly, rejoice, rejoice. And this should be the greatest cause for our joy and thanksgiving in life. Not merely that God provides us food and shelter here and now, or health, those are good things, But more than that, that he has promised to do so much for us in Christ forevermore in the world to come, to endlessly give of himself to us as an eternal fountain of joy and delight. We should rejoice with thankfulness that by his death and resurrection, Christ has secured for us this blessed happily ever after that our hearts so long for. And like I said earlier, if this doesn't awaken joy in our hearts, what will? What will? Well, as Jonathan Edwards meditated and reflected on the joy of the world to come, he couldn't help out, or couldn't help but break out in doxology, in praise. And that's where we're going to conclude tonight with listening of these words of praise, this doxology. He says this, Oh, what joy will there be springing up in the hearts of the saints after they have passed through their wearisome pilgrimage to be brought to such a paradise as this. Here is joy unspeakable indeed and full of glory, joy that is humble, holy, enrapturing, and divine in its perfection. This is the joy that awaits you in Christ. Repent, receive, rejoice in him. With that, beloved of God, we commit ourselves to him as we await for the arrival of our King and the fullness of the joy to come. Amen. Lord, we thank you for regaining the joy that we lost in the beginning and that we daily forfeit with our actions and missteps. We rejoice that Jesus came and did the work for us and claimed on the cross, it is finished, and you vindicated that claim by raising him up from the dead on the third day. And he rules and reigns forevermore now at your right hand, O Father, building that new city of God, your holy Jerusalem, which will come as a bride adorned for her groom from you, 
to this renewed earth on the last day where our joy will be made complete and consummated. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit more and more holy aspirations to strive for that coming joy with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to bring you the glory and the praise. Do that work within us. Cause us to repent, to receive, and rejoice more and more, even this week to come. This we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.